stability. That's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. We have not had a lot of that uh, necessarily come so easily lately. Uh, just you see the kind of um, hurriedness of what we were just going through. Um, that was kind of a small little picture of what happened in the back right before service started when we were trying to fill out all these certificates and write out all these notes and make sure we hadn't forgotten anybody. And I still came up here and forgot people. Uh, but uh, anyway, we want stability. We, we all crave that. Uh, we, we look for stability in our lives. And a lot of times we will look as a human outwardly first. We will look, especially in the early stages of our lives. As children, we look for stability in our families. We'll look for stability in the church. Again, one of the great things, as Pastor mentioned, about having master clubs is having a place for the children to come. And uh, a lot of them, whether it's within the church family that comes or comes on the van, it's an opportunity to provide some stability in their lives. And so we can find it, again, especially as a, as a youngster looking at family in a church as we grow older. Sometimes we look for stability in a job. Sometimes we look for stability in our government. We can look outwardly for lots of places for stability. And while all of these can be good, sometimes they're not very stable. Some of our families are not very stable. Sometimes our job is not stable. Uh, sometimes our health is not stable. Sometimes our government is not, does not seem to be stable. And even sometimes our church. Our churches go through problems. Sometimes they're not very stable. And then sometimes we have these institutions that are stable, but sometimes they're not godly. Sometimes our family, our government, our job, sometimes even our church goes into ungodly areas. We have books of the Bible written to encourage churches to maintain their godliness and written for us as well to learn from them. And so sometimes while we're seeking these things, this stability, we look for these outside areas. And lately, there's been a lot of threats to that stability, of course, whether it be the COVID virus with our health and how that has, has radiated beyond just a person's individual health to their ability to function. Um, I used to work at a certain job that I would go in, you know, pretty much every day, Monday through Friday, and I haven't been there in over a year. Still working, but it's different. And the ideas of, well, how is this going to happen at the very beginning, especially? How are people going to be able to work from home? Will they? We had people whose, whose jobs, uh, especially you can think of lots of restaurants who shut down maybe, and people lost jobs through that. Uh, this health, again, it's not necessarily as stable, and that's just thinking of the virus. And then we have all of our other individual situations. Uh, again, government. You know, we look at our government and, and have concerns and, and worries over things. Uh, our family, sometimes we have family problems that we have to deal with because, you know, we are, are human and we have those kinds of situations in our family that we have to deal with. And lately there's been a lot of threats to that. I am not as old as some of you. I am older than most of you. I can remember back to the roughly the 70s. And I often would say, you know, that, yeah, I, you know, this feels like the most turmoil in our country that I can remember. That's not that long ago. There's a lot of stuff that happened way before the 70s and a lot of other difficulties that other people have lived through. I've read something recently about considering people that were born in 1900. And you go from 1900 to, as a late teenager, World War I. And then you go into the Great Depression 
skipping over the Spanish flu that, again, we would think about. You go to the Great Depression in the late 20s and into the 30s and then World War II, and that's all younger for those people, all those, excuse me, all those difficulties younger than the years that I've been alive. And so I look at my life, and it's like I really have had it pretty easy compared to a lot of people. You go back before that time, you get, you know, not, what, 30, or, you know, 35 years before 1900 or so is the end of the Civil War. Slavery, people being owned by other people. A terrible time still happens today. People are still stuck in slavery, still have human trafficking. We still have these issues. And so while lots of times we look for these outside influences, for stability, for comfort, we, we often find that they come up short. They will come up short. They're not going to give us what we need. And so then a lot of times we look inwardly as a human. We look inwardly inside ourselves, and sometimes we will consider some of the concepts that we have been going over in Sunday school in the Stewarding Life book. A lot of classes have been going through that. And the idea of being a steward of life, as in recognizing that God has given it to us, and we should use it how he sees fit. And I know there's the comparison in that between those who squander life, who just waste it on selfish pursuits. And then on another end, they mention those who spend life, but as in sometimes maybe even in good endeavors, but they're just doing it on their own strength, in their own strength, and not really seeking God's will for their life. But that the right thing is to try to be a steward of what God has given us. And so if we look honestly inside our life, we will see areas in ourselves. Just like if we look easily on the outside and it's easy to look at somebody else and find fault with them, when we look inwardly a lot of times we see the faults that we have. We see the difficulties that we struggle with inwardly where we are not stewarding what God has given us as he would have us to. And so then sometimes, and especially in this last year and a half, you've heard lots of reports about great increases in depression, great increases in family problems and how these things just kind of build on each other when we look inwardly. And that's not what God wants for us either. He does want us to look at ourselves, but when we look at ourselves, he doesn't want us to get depressed over what we see. He wants us to recognize that he is there for us, that we need to be looking to him. And when we look inwardly, it's not just looking at our inward flesh. We need to look at Christ who lives in us. And so God wants us to be stable in him. He wants us to be stable in him as our great God, as Brother Dan talked about Sunday night. The great God who is the same. He is stable yesterday, today, and forever. He is where we find our stability. He's the one who created us. He created us as human beings. He created the universe, created everything around us. He is holy. We sinned, yet he loves us. And he sent his son to die to be our savior and to be our redeemer. He's the one that loves us, and he's the one that through Christ we can live in his strength. And all these, you know, you, you can, most of you have been in church often, and you can think of verses that cover a lot of what I'm talking about here. Um, and so God wants us to look to him. Again, as the one that created us. This is the God that Pastor Gilbert talked about Sunday morning, who spoke of as the one seeking the prodigal, seeking us to come back to him when we are astray. He's the one 
And if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy 6 and also Joshua 24. Again, Brother Dwyer spoke Sunday night. And part of his message, he mentioned the idea of the Israelites. And especially through the book of Judges. How they would sin. How they would go into a judgment. How they would go into some kind of captivity or situation. How they would repent. How they would seek God's face. And how he would deliver them. And then they would get comfortable and then they would fall again, and just those cycles would repeat themselves. But God loved them through it all, and he loves us through it all as well. He wants to bring us back to him, like I said, as Pastor Gilbert said Sunday morning about the prodigal. He wants to bring us back to him. And as Brother Dwyer spoke about Sunday night, and then also as Caleb, when he was doing the Bible reading Sunday morning, he read from this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm going to start, actually, with verse 10. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fieldest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. That is the kind of God that we have, one that gives us things that we don't deserve. We have sinned against him, but he offers us that salvation. And many of you, we've had several of the master clubs who accepted Christ as their Savior this year, and he gives us these things. If we go to Joshua 24, that, those verses there, we're looking forward to what God will be doing. In Joshua's 20, remember verse... 10, it talked about cities that we build not, houses that were filled, wells, and vineyards and olives. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 13. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them. Of the vineyards and oliveyards which ye planted not, do ye eat. God promised that he was going to supply for Israel, and he did. He is stable, and he, will, he promised he would supply, and he did. He promises to us that he will supply our need, and he will deliver. And uh, if you go, again, back to Deuteronomy, in the verses before that led up to that promise is the instruction that he gave. And in verse 4 it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. It talks about a personal love for God. Do we have a personal love for this God? It talks about that first, and then it moves into verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates." He says, you need to have a personal love for me. We need a personal Savior. Jesus Christ came to be our Savior. He died for us to be our Savior. We have to personally accept that free gift. And then after that, again, as it says here, not only do you have a love, you need to teach others. You need to teach others. You need to tell them. This says, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. You need to teach your children. And we'll talk just a minute. Master Clubs is a great way that you as parents sending your children are investing and helping to teach, and then you as leaders are helping to teach. 
If we go to Joshua chapter 24, again, kind of the conclusion or, or the end point after that, and we read verse 13, then verse 14 says, because God did what he said he was going to do, verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, again, it started out personally. He says, for me, as for me, and then he expanded to others that he was teaching and leading, and my house... We will serve the Lord. He made that commitment personally and to teach others as families. It's that idea that we need to regain our focus on God as, our, as the one who protects us. Now, when we go through these kinds of difficulties, again, we said we look outwardly, we look inwardly. And a lot of times we, we think about the struggles that are out there and we have to remember that we have to turn back our focus to God. Instead of drawing stability from things like our family and our job and our church or government, instead of thinking that that's the source of it, our job is to be reflecting God's love. We need to be shining that light onto those things, onto our family, onto our job, onto our government, onto our church. We need to reflect that stability toward them. The lost world doesn't have that. We shouldn't be surprised that they behave in an ungodly way. We did. The Bible says that, and such were some of you. We were like that. And if we're not living in Christ's power, we can still fall into that and, and, and still disobey him. So we need to make sure that as we live in this world, we are reflecting God's love onto that thing, both personally and teaching others. There's a passage in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, that just is an encouragement to me. You're welcome to turn there. And there's a little outline that I like that I, I read in here. And it helps to uh, just kind of remind me, remind me of, of, of the way life is. And it begins around the word beloved. In verse 1, and I will just kind of paraphrase through this. In verse 1 it says beloved. In verse 2 it says be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. It talks about being mindful of God's word. Beloved, remember God's word. This, again, is our foundation. Remember his word. It says that there's going to be scoffers. Again, we should not be surprised. There are going to be scoffers. Their specific example here is talking about people who deny the second coming of Christ, that it's not going to happen. You preached it, and they did 2,000 years ago, and it didn't happen then, and it hasn't happened since, and you're just a bunch of fools for believing it. That's what the scoffers would say. And he says, you need to be mindful of what the Word of God says. These same people are scoffers. They're willingly ignorant, it says in verse 5. Willingly ignorant that they don't believe in the creation that the Bible teaches. They don't believe in the flood that the Bible teaches, the judgment that came from that. They don't believe in these things. They choose to willingly be ignorant. And then that leads us to the second one in verse 8. Beloved, be not ignorant. Those people were willingly ignorant of these things. And he says, Beloved, you be mindful of these things and be not ignorant that 
of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God is not like us. We are not God. He, our concepts, we are finite, and without getting too into this mathematical world that I sometimes like, we're finite. We're limited. There is truly, if you think of a line segment and array and a line, there is an eternity past. There is a point that is the beginning of time, and there is the end of time that is a point, and then you have eternity. God is not even on the line. He is above the line. God is above time. He's above the concept, and he is our stability. He has given these things to us, and he says, be not ignorant that God is not like you. We can't judge him in things that are finite, that make sense to our finite mind. And so remember that God's not like you, that he is, again, greater than us. He's not slack concerning his promise. And he goes on talking about his return, that it will come. And then we skip down into verse 14, where it says, Beloved, be diligent. Remember God's word. Remember that God's not like you, that he is above you. He is greater than you. Remember that, and now be diligent. And be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace. Again, when we shine that light back on the turmoil that's around us, it should look like peace. The peace that comes from God, that passeth all understanding. That's the peace that we should be showing. Found of him in peace, without spot, not being uh, guilty, as other people earlier in this book, of of being uh, hungry after money, hungry after power, but being found without spot and blameless having that good reputation that, again, comes from God's power living through us and reflecting him onto to those things around us. And then the final warning there is in verse 17 where it says, Beloved, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So you need to be paying attention, <clears throat> excuse me, be mindful of God's word, be not ignorant that God is different than you, Be diligent to live in such a way that you're reflecting his light onto these things around you. Be the influence on them, not looking to them for your source of stability, but you be the influence on them. And then beware, like the Israelites, who after God would deliver them and they would be restored and then they would become complacent again. A lot of times things like what we've been dealing with the last year and a half or two years helps us to look inwardly to say, have I been being, have I become complacent? Am I really doing what I, I need to be doing for God? And then, in closing, in closing, Master Clubs is just one way, one of many ways, one of many tools that allows expression of that personal belief in God as a leader, as a parent to help your children to come, as to encourage them at home. But it's, it allows the expression of that personal toward completing that second part, which was the teaching of the youngers, the teaching of the others around him. Again, in closing, this is a verse that, uh, and I'm going to turn to read a couple of verses over in Matthew chapter 5 real quick. But Matthew chapter 5, this is uh, Jesus was preaching here. And he says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Gives the examples, two examples of what we use light for. We know what we use light for. And Jesus is the light of the world. And then our instruction, our encouragement, our exhortation, and as we leave here and think about the Friday night event, 
We think about the July uh, fireworks event. We think about going to work tomorrow. We think about driving on the highway on the way home and what kind of example are we going to be there. When we think about all these different things, then we look to verse 16. Sam, can you quote verse 16 for me, please? If you would stand up and turn around and face that way. Thank you. Let your light, which again is not your personal light, it's Christ's light that's shining through you. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. They see you being diligent with your behavior in peace. They see you blameless. They see you without spot. They let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, not glorify you. It's not about you. It's not about finding that with them. It's about glorifying our Father, which is in heaven that you may, they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Again, when we go leave here, parking lot, highway, Friday night at the men's thing, fireworks, glorifying our Father, which is in heaven. Everything we do should be pointing to him. We should be that influence on these other entities like government, our job, our family, our church even, to point everyone to God and bring glory and honor to him.